Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Simbox Presents Let's Talk Boxing with your hosts, Luke and Ewan. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Simbox Presents Let's Talk Boxing. I'm your host, Luke Carney, and as always, I will be joined by my co-host, Mr. Ewan Breeze. And before we get underway with today's episode, I would just like to let our listeners know that you can check us out across social media. And we're on Twitter, at Simbox. We're on Instagram, at Sim underscore Box. And you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is Simbox Boxing. We provide daily updates, breaking news, and debate all things boxing. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast. I'm your host, Luke, as always, joined by Ewan. And as we creep ever closer to the end of 2020, which in a lot of ways has been a horrendous year, we do end it with a bit of a bang. The highest profile fight, shall we say, to take place behind closed doors, or not so much behind closed doors, given that there is going to be a small crowd there at Wembley for Anthony Joshua versus Kubrat Pulev, the unified heavyweight world title fight. Ewan, what's your thoughts on the fight first and foremost? It's a great fight, and to have the last two weeks of the year, the two biggest stars in world boxing out in front of fans, it's going to be fantastic. You know, we've come so long. You know, when we first started doing this podcast, we were scrabbling around for things to talk about because boxing was off, sport was shut down, and now we're ending it with AJ and Canelo, the two biggest stars in, in, in world boxing. It's such an exciting time. We're, this is the beginning of something new, of, of the new world of boxing, and I can't wait to cover, cover it extensively this week. Absolutely, and it is going to be the feature of the podcast this week, the anti-Joshua Kubrat Pula fight, so we will touch on that a little later in the podcast. But as we always do, we start with this week in boxing, and two back-to-back fights last weekend, you and one on Sky Sports, one on BT Sports. Two very different fights in very different ways. We'll start with the Friday night show, Billy Joe Saunders successfully defending his WBO super middleweight title with a unanimous decision victory over the... The game, Martin Murray, the overmatch Martin Murray, shall we say. I think the fight produced everything we expected, result-wise, performance-wise. You know, I don't think anyone really expected Billy Joe Saunders to, to get the knockout. Murray's only ever been stopped by Golovkin. So the unanimous decision victory was the, the, the way to go, I think, for the, the general boxing public, Ewan. Yeah, you could, have written the, uh, you could have written the report on it on Thursday. It was, it was everything we expected and more. Billy Joe Saunders looked absolutely fine at best. And Martin Murray's tough as old boots, but was completely overmatched. You could have, and it goes 12 rounds. It's, it's exactly what pr- we predicted on last week's podcast. It's exactly what everybody expected this fight to be. Billy Joe Saunders being mediocre, because that's Billy Joe Saunders. I, I'm, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired. I said this last week, and I'm sick and tired again, because we have him fight, looking subpar against subpar opponents. And that's no knock on Martin Murray. He's been such a servant of the game. He's such a nice fella, but... Oh, just Billy Joe Saunders fight night. They leave so much to be desired for me. Yeah, certainly. It certainly leaves a lot to desire to be desired. Uh, the one thing that I can hopefully take from Friday night, you know, he was quite passionate in his post-fight uh, speech, you know, his, his, his post-fight interview, sorry. And, and so was Eddie Hearn about getting these fights made for 2021. And if Eddie Hearn, of all people, can't provide these fights, you know, he, he had his run with, with Frank Warren and that didn't really get too... Uh, far into getting fights with the likes of Golovkin or Canelo and if, if Eddie Hearn's not the man for the job then unfortunately 
I, I don't see where Billy Joe Saunders can go. So fingers crossed, 2021 delivers those big fights for, for Billy Joe Saunders. You know, I'd like to see it start with the overdue Demetrius Andrade fight. There's, you know, there's a bit of blood, blood there. They've had the back and forths. I think there was one or two fights scheduled. So that's a fight that really does need to happen. I think Andrade's still looking for maybe a run out of 168 pounds first. Who knows? But that's definitely the fight that I see next for Billy Joe Saunders, all being well and good. But even then, talking about that, I'd rather see Andrade defend his title against his number one contender, Liam Williams, who is a more exciting fighter than Billy Joe Saunders. If if Andrade's moving up, yes, I get it. And then Billy and then Liam Williams can fight for a vacant title at 160 pounds. But I just Andrade's got just as bad a style as Billy Joe. I can't see that fight being anything other than boring. I'm just I want somebody who can draw the best out of Billy Joe. And so for me, it's the it's the Callum Smith winner or lo- Callum Smith Canelo winner or loser. So Canelo might win and skip down or skip up, uh, and then in, I think the Callum Smith's the fight. If Callum Smith beats Canelo, obviously that's going to be a different story because there'll be rematches and everything else. But the winner or the loser of that fight is a better fight for me than Andrade. And it's a more it's a fight where Billy Joe can sell himself as I am actually good at super middleweight because at the moment he's selling himself as rubbish. And I just think that Andrade fight is just going to be the most boring fight I can think of styles wise in, in boxing. You know they'll just circle each other as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. I can see exactly exactly where you're coming from. I think. My my take on that fight was that's going to be the most realistic big fight, if that makes sense. You know, I think for, for Andre, it's an in-house fight at Matchroom from Eddie Hearn's perspective. And, you know, he's not going to have to deal with Frank Warren and all that entails in terms of the mandatory position for Liam Williams. Because we're big fans of Liam Williams here at Simbox, you know, that, that's no secret. And we'd love to see him get his world title shot. It's much overdue. But I don't see Billy Joe Saunders going in with the Canelo Callum Smith winner and I think you know ideally that would be the great fight I'd love to see Billy Joe Saunders Callum Smith and I'd love to see Billy Joe Saunders and Canelo so I think my Andrade pick was more of a a realistic choice it's not going to be the most exciting fight I think I'd be more interested in the the pre-fight build-up and the presses and the face-offs given that tension that bit of bad blood and everything that went around the the nasal sprays and all that kind of thing that stopped the fights happening originally so I think that's more why I'd look at that fight you yeah, you bob on. I think that that's a pragmatist point of view in terms of what fight can be made. And there is a case for Andrade being the biggest fight that could be made right now. But I'm I'm ever the optimist. And that gets me in a lot of hot water for always thinking the best of boxing when often <laughs> we are proven the other way. But no, I, I think that in my in my optimistic view, I would love to see him fight either one of Canelo or Callum Smith, no matter what happens on the 19th. But... Ultimately, I think you're right. I think the biggest fight that they can physically put together right now is Andrade. The only other one that is in-house at Matchroom and his own that I would love to see is the Golovkin fight. I think that's the challenge Billy Joe could get up for. We await and see what's next for Billy Joe Saunders. We mentioned at the start of this podcast about how we've got the biggest British boxing star in Anthony Joshua fighting this weekend. And the week after, we've got the biggest maybe star in world boxing in Canelo. You know, that's always up for debate. In our lifetime, certainly, you and the biggest name in boxing has always been Floyd Mayweather. And this week, we had the announcement that he's going to be taking part in an exhibition fight against none other than YouTube sensation, 0-1 as a pro boxer, Logan Paul. I'm sure it's Logan Paul. Is it Jake Paul? You know, I don't keep up with these guys, but that's the exhibition fight. That's going to take place in Feb next year. There's not been too much else said about this fight in terms of rules, regulations and everything else other than it's going to take place at some point in Feb. So 
Yeah, Ewan, I've been looking forward to getting this moment on the podcast. Give me your thoughts on the fight. Or exhibition, not fight. Uh, that was going to be my first point. It's, it is like Cowboy Luttrell versus Jack Dempsey, Lyle Alzado versus Muhammad Ali, Ali and Noki. It's a freak show, freak show exhibition. They're both going to walk away with $100 million and fair enough. Boxing fans won't buy it. The idiots that subscribe to Logan Paul will. It's ridiculous. I can I, the same way I could have told you. I could have written the Billy Joe Saunders. What will happen? I could have written. I can write this one. Ready? We'll come back to this. Floyd will carry him for four rounds. He'll do a little leg wobble in the second or the third, so this lad can think, "Oh, I've, I've wobbled Floyd Mayweather." Then he'll go crazy, hit him with a couple of body shots, and the ref will jump in. That's what will happen. That is what will happen. It is not a fight. It is a daft exhibition, and it will end by whenever Floyd Mayweather wants it to end. Logan Paul, they're saying, oh, he's so big. He could be Andre the fucking giant, as far as I'm concerned, and he's still going to get knocked out because he can't, can't box. Floyd Mayweather at 60 could outbox him. But tell you what, put big George Foreman in in his 70s. He'd knock out Logan Paul. Kid can't box. You have to be able to box. It's a silly exhibition. I'll tell you what will happen. It's, uh, it's a bit ridiculous. I'm a bit annoyed, but I'm more flippant about these things now. I just think they're not real boxing and we need to stop considering them such, I think. Ewan, for me, I'm going to take it for what it is. And this kind of goes against the the hardcore boxing or boxing Twitter narrative. I don't really give a shit about this exhibition. I think it is what it is. You know, given if Floyd Mayweather was an active fighter, if we was chasing Floyd Mayweather against Terence Crawford or Errol Spencer at 147 pounds, and we was forsaking that fight for him to take this exhibition with Logan Paul, I would be an uproar. I think it'd be a disgrace. And I think it'd be absolutely ridiculous that he's gone for the money instead of the real fights. But we're three, four years removed from his last meaningful fight, you know, if we don't count the Conor McGregor performance. So, therefore, this is nothing more than an exhibition. This is nothing more than, you know, a, a step up from a WrestleMania in, in WWE or, you know, something like that. There'll be music, there'll be fireworks, there'll be performances, and that's all it is. It's entertainment. So, I don't take it as seriously as some people have. If this was, again, being put in place of another fight for Floyd, if he was still active, I wouldn't agree. But it's just, it's just entertainment at the end of the day. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near competitive. It's going to be bizarre given the, the lack of experience in the boxing ring for Logan Paul. It's going to be bizarre in terms of the fact that he's going to be so much bigger. But that's not going to be a factor in any way of the result. I just think that he's going to be visually so much bigger. It, it, it just doesn't matter at the end of the day. I think you kind of watch this to be entertained rather than watch it to see who's going to win. And I, don't, I certainly won't be paying to watch it. I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination, but these YouTube fans, these Logan Paul followers, they're just going to bleat on and bleat on about the fact that their guy took on the greatest boxer of a generation. Yeah, I think it's more akin to when Floyd Mayweather fought the big show than when he fought Manny Pacquiao. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's the way it should be looked at. You know, it, back then... I, I, I guess if we was doing the, the podcast back then, you and I'd be more pissed off that Floyd Mayweather went and done WWE for, was it four, eight, 12 weeks, however long it was. And and that could have been a time when the Manny Pacquiao fight that everyone was clamoring for could have happened. That that was Floyd Mayweather in more of his prime years. So back very, then, I could have been a bit more annoyed than, than I am now. It's a very good point. Yeah, so we'll leave that as it is. Like I say, it will get a lot of attention on social media. It will cook up a storm, of course, and it will continue to rumble on and rumble on the discussion of exhibition bouts that we seem to be getting more and more of. But let's get into the meat and bones of it, a fight that really does matter, a fight that has been three years in the making, shall we say, because this was due to take place back in 2017. It's the IBF Mandatory Challenge 
for Ante Joshua and it's Kubat Pulev. Back in 2017, he pulled out with, was it 10, 12, 14 days notice and then stepped Carlos Takam. Ante Joshua stopped Takam in 10 rounds after a tougher than expected fight, shall we say. But this Saturday, we get Joshua Pulev. I see it as the final stepping stone to hopefully the undisputed fight. I'm sure you see it the same, Ewan. Exactly. It, the reason we have this fight is the IBF are very tough at calling mandatories. You know, since their scandal has passed in the uh, the eighties, nineties, and two thousands, they've had they've had to buckle down on their mandatory situation and their ranking situation. So they've called this. I think it's the right fight for AJ to come back. You know, he it could easily have been a Povetkin or a Dylan White, but AJ's beat both of them. So it's a fresh face. It's a different style, and I think that. It is the perfect setup fight in terms of springboarding them both towards hopefully Tyson Fury gets out at the beginning of next year and then that kind of big summer showdown that we all hope that that fight will be. I think that I think that Kubrat Pulev is is not necessarily the greatest heavyweight in the world. He's not Tyson Fury, but he is stiff enough a challenge for us to get a gauge of where AJ's at heading towards the test of Tyson Fury. Yes, yeah, certainly. So let's look at Kubrat Pulev. He's he's twenty eight and one. He's got 14 knockouts on the record. He is pushing 40 now. You know, he's on, he's on, he's on the, the wrong side of 39. He's picked up a few noticeable wins over some British opponents. He, of course, beat Huey Fiore to become the IBF mandatory, I'm, I'm sure. And he, he beat Derek Chisora. And I think it was a split decision or a majority decision. He didn't have it all his own way against Derek Chisora. And that was three or four years ago before this kind of renaissance for Derek Chisora. So I don't know how much you can look into that. And I think... For me, with with Pulev, he's always kind of, with all due respect, you know, he's got some good amateur pedigree and he's got he's got some good achievements as an amateur. But he's left a lot to be desired as a professional. Like I say, he's he's pushing forter and he's had just that one world title challenge, and that of course was his only defeat to Vladimir Klitschko. He was knocked out by Vladimir Klitschko. It was quite a an eye catching knockout for Vladimir, given that he was in the midst of that kind of jab jab right hand hold kind of style controlling fights. He wasn't really a killer as such. And he, he dismantled Pulev six years ago when Pulev arguably would have been in his prime. So I just don't know what we're expecting of Pulev. Is he a banana skin? Are we all overlooking him? And we all know what happened last time we overlooked an Anthony Joshua opponent and that was Andy Ruiz back in June of 2019. I don't think so. I think that Kubrat Pulev is stylistically a great opponent for Anthony Joshua. If we dissect his style, you know, you talked about his his Olympic pedigree and his amateur background, you know, he had he had European gold twice, once in 2004, once in 2008, you know. He's got a real a real that kind of Soviet style background where he is a very straight up fighter, you know, he's got a very good jab. He marches forward, he stays in straight lines, in and back. He doesn't necessarily throw big wide hooks or big power punches. He's kind of he slows his work in. That's exactly the sort of opponent that Anthony Joshua has proven to thrive against. You know, we look at the likes of Vladimir Klitschko, obviously we saw that fight. But also if we look earlier into Joshua's career, the likes of Dominic Brazil, you know, Dominic Brazil was an Olympian, big, tall, upright fighter, the likes of Charles Martin again tall, upright fighter. And then even later on, you look at the likes of Povetkin. He was another guy who came out of the Soviet system. Obviously a bit smaller, a bit more difficult, but he he had the same sort of boxing style. You know, So we've seen Anthony Joshua have success against these guys. And I think that Pulev is almost coming in tailor-made. 
And I don't want that to sound derogatory because, yes, he's a very good fighter. And he's, he's arguably earned his shot with the IBF. It, it is just one of those things is you look back at the, the two records and what style gave Pulev problems. That was the Klitschko style, that jab grab with a big left hook at the end that gave him a lot of problems. What styles has AJ been able to implement that Klitschko style against that big right hand? It's been the same sort of guys as Pulev. It's one of those boxing math things. You can't really work it out, but as far as I can see, they're going to fit together really well in favour of Anthony Joshua. Yeah, so a couple of things there. And again, I don't want to get into my prediction too much just yet, but I, I absolutely agree with your prediction that this is, is, is made perfectly for Anthony Joshua to look good in terms of Kubat Pulev as an opponent. But another thing I wanted to mention there, you know, you said with all due respect that he's earned his position as the IBF mandatory challenger. This is something I wanted to look at. You know, when we look at which governing body gives out mandatory title fights and I don't want to go bleating on about the Dylan White and the thousand days as the WBC mandatory challenger but let's look at Kubrat Pulev he since the Vladimir Klitschko fight and well, no sorry we move forward from the Vladimir Klitschko fight he fought Derek Chisora like we mentioned and that was 2016 he won the European title in that fight again split decision win since then his run reads Samuel Peter Kevin Johnson, Huey Fiore, Bogdan Dinu, Rydell Booker, and Rydell Booker was last November. That hardly screams world title uh, or deserving of a world title shot, you know, especially when you look at the, the Dylan White situation, as I mentioned, you know, the, the fight in Lucas Brown and Joseph Parker and Oscar Rivas and such. And again, I know each governing body is different, but does he really deserve this kind of fight? Is it just a situation that we're in where he's there or thereabouts as a top 10, top 15 contender? It's, it's, it leaves a lot to be desired for me, I think. And again, it goes back to what I said at the, the, the beginning of this segment, is that Pulev just, he seems ever so underwhelming. I think in, in, in recent years, he's been more known for pulling out of the AJ fight the first time around. And then he had that whole scandal uh, with the, the sexual harassment thing with the TV presenter. It, it, I think he's been more infamous out of the ring than he has been in the ring. And it definitely just leaves a feeling of, of being underwhelmed. But again, going back to the original point that you made as well, his style is is perfect, Frank and Josh. I'm, you know, I, I'm in total agreement there. But it, it, I don't know. Do we leave the the, the blame with the, the the governing body that, that he's been made mandatory challenger? I think he'd have to look at their, their their rankings and see who's next in line. I think it's Charles Martin, and and that just kind of sums up the IBF, I guess. And I don't want to sound too disrespectful, but it's not looking great if Kubrat Pulev, who's fought a who's who of nobodies, if you like, all due respect to maybe Huey Fiore, who I thought was was great in taking that fight with Pulev at that stage of his career. But aside from Huey Fiore, it's not streaming a lot from Kubat Pulev. And then next in line is a Charles Martin that's, again, not really done a lot. What's your thoughts on that, you? I'm going to disagree with you slightly in terms of why Pulev should get the shot because I'm, I've got Boxtrek up in front of me here. And so Kubat Pulev is ranked 11th. Okay. So above him, Joe Joyce just fought. Derek Chisora just fought. Dylan White scheduled to fight. Michael Hunter, I will come back to him. Andrew Ruiz Jr. will come back to him. Usyk just fought. Povetkin scheduled to fight. And then it's Wilder, who's off the map, Fury and AJ. All right. So th- that is the top kind of 12 names on in on Boxrec. I know that's a, a kind of an arbitrary measure, but just, just for argument's sake, all of them really, you know, Wilder and Ruiz are missing in action. The only one that's really a legitimate contender is Michael Hunter. And nobody appears to be giving Michael Hunter uh, his his due shot. And I'm not sure why that is. He's a bit of an anomaly on that list. But all the other top contenders have either just fought or are scheduled to fight. You can't go pulling 
Povetkin out of the Dylan White rematch when Dylan White's exercised his claws. You know, you can't throw Derek Chisora back in at, you know, two weeks' notice. You can't. I don't know. I think that the heavyweight division, as stacked as it is at the moment, it is still thin at the top. I think that the quality of opponent drops off very swiftly outside of that top five. And Kubrat Pulev is definitely in the next 10. All right. But everybody else seems to be getting a fight and getting a scrap. And if we move a bit further down that list, you know, you mentioned Charles Martin. Is Charles Martin a better fight than Pulev? Absolutely not. We go back down even further. You know, you've got the likes of Kawanaki and Hellenius. Are they any better than Pulev? No, they're not. On par. On par for me. But <laughs> Hellenius just knocked out Kawanaki. I, I don't know. But we get into it. It's, it's a, it is a matter of opinion. But for me, if you start to scan down, you know, you've got the likes of Gerald Washington who is in that next, is in the top 20. Gerald Washington just got knocked out with a spectacular one punch against Charles Martin, who lasted, what, two rounds with at the AJ of six, seven years ago. I think that the heavyweight division is thin at the top. And if your man, like Pulev has for the last five years, been fighting IBF-ranked fighters and winning all of those fights, the IBF can't do anything other than call that shot. And, you know, we, if we're scouring around for opponents now, you're looking in the dirt, you know, we all know which fight we want. We, we don't need to mention that right now. But, He's not going to be able to fight on December the 12th, but Pulev can. So why not? I think that, especially seeing as it was scheduled and cancelled in, was it 2017, 2018? That's the one. And why not put him in? I, again, I'm not, even though I've just said he's tailor-made, I'm not necessarily as disappointed in the matchmaking as you are because I would be, I would be less enthusiastic about a fight with the likes of Martin or Washington or anybody like that. I think that those fights would be worse. So again, I'm not complaining in terms of Pulev. I think it's more the fact that the, the run of form that he's, he's had has led to him getting the shot is more my argument. Pulev, as an opponent, like I say, he's at his age and he's only just now returning to a world title shot. You know, obviously the fight was meant to happen in 2017 and that would have been a world title fight, but he pulled out of that with injury. So, you know, in, in what, 30 fights, 29 fights, almost 40 years of age, this is only his second world title shot. You know, in a time when, Every man and his dog's almost getting a world title shot. You know, when you look at some of the defences that Jante Wilder certainly made and, uh, and Charles Martin becoming um, IBF world champion a few years back before Joshua fought him. I think that that's my, my argument is the fact that the, the, the body of work that's there with Quebec Pulev in terms of his record has left a lot to be desired. I understand why he's in this fight this weekend because he has fell into the mandatory position with the IBF. I just don't think his body of work is deserving of that position, if that makes sense. You know, maybe if, if Povetkin had climbed the ranks of the IBF or if, if uh, Dylan White had, had focused on the IBF and not the WBC, you know, or, or, or Joe Joyce or Daniel Dubois, then these fights that have happened recently would not have happened and we would have been looking at a totally different landscape. I think that's the kind of argument that I'm making is that there's other fighters out there that have more significant, significant victories than Kubrat Pulev. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, and it's it's the argument of quality and quantity, isn't it? Because Joe Joyce has just just got two signature wins back to back in Bryant Jennings and uh, Daniel Dubois, which could well be better than Pulev's ones. But Pulev's got since he got knocked out by Vladimir Klitschko, he's on a run. He's on a run where he hasn't he hasn't lost since he hasn't lost since twenty fourteen. So that's six years unbeaten. So again, the quality of opponent might not be there. The signature wins might not be there. But if you've for six years ranked. Uh, fought ranked opponents and never lost. How can you be denied? I don't. It's it is what you value more and what you value more, whether that's momentum or longevity. But again, it's 
it is AJ Poole this this weekend, and whether we like it or not, there's there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah, certainly we're going to get that fight. We're going to get a, a hopefully a victory for Joshua that will set up a big. 2021. Ewan, we're, we're hearing rumours that he hurts fan in the flames. Of course he does. He loves putting the needle in there. He loves stirring up the bullshit and and, and getting the, the talk going online. And is Tyson Fury, Ewan, going to be at ringside on Saturday? We all know how much I like Tyson Fury, how much I will back him if that fight comes comes to pass. You know, everybody who, who follows me on Twitter or anything like that knows that. But Tyson Fury, for his own sake, needs to be there. On Saturday night, he needs to get in. If if matchroom security don't let him in, he needs to be making a big deal. He's scared. They won't let me near him. If they let him into ringside at the end of the fight, no matter what happens, no matter how the fight is, get in that ring. Even if Pulev wins, get in that ring and make a, make a song and a dance. Try and get in the ring. Make that promotion. Build the rivalry. Build the promotion. Do you remember when he did it against Deontay Wilder when he knocked out Spilker in Brooklyn, right? And he got in his face. Any time, any place, anywhere. We saw that clip between the with the, the promotion for their two fights, Wilder and Fury. We saw that clip. I'm going to say a thousand times because it was a great viral moment, and it sold the fight and it built the momentum towards that fight. When when they did it again after Fury fought Pianetta and they got in each other's faces, it sold the fight, it created the rivalry. And that's why we had those two monster events of Wilder and Fury, one and two. You know, Fury has to get in the ring, has to make that viral moment because when the public see it on Sunday morning, everybody's Twitter feed will be should be, should be going viral. Anti Joshua, massive knockout. And the next clip that's attached to that is Tyson Fury jumping over the top rope and calling him a big dosser. Then the public loses its mind and the public pressure on that fight to be made is immense. Tyson Fury has to be there and he has to make an effort because if he does, the fight is five times more likely to be made for as soon as possible because people will see the demand and they'll see them, they'll get dollar signs in their eyes. They'll see the millions and millions and millions that is there to be made with that heavyweight clash. I absolutely agree. You know, and I noticed today on social media that you caught a bit of heat for for this demand. I put a tweet out myself saying that this this is ideal for Tyson Fury, his character, his persona. This is ideal for him. Look at like you say the the way he he dived in with Deontay Wilder, and as you say that that was replayed time and time again, and that really did get the excitement and the, and the ball rolling for that fight. And I don't see how anybody anybody at all can disagree with this being a good thing. Boxing is a sport, first and foremost, but it's an entertainment and it's a business, a very close second to it being a sport. And this is absolutely what's needed to make the, the casual market, which is what Anthony Joshua thrives on, which is what Tyson Fury is beginning to thrive on, is what pays the big bucks. It's what makes these fighters pay-per-view stars. Now, they need that attention. They need not only Sky Sports to be talking about this, but they need the, the news channels to be talking about it. They need the talk shows to be talking about it. They need the the, the, the Piers Morgans of this world to be screaming from the rooftops that, oh my God, I've just seen this on, at the end of Anthony Joshua's fight. You almost want Tyson Fury to have the hunger and the desire to overshadow anything that Anthony Joshua does. Anthony Joshua could blow Kubrat Pulev out of there in one round. And if Tyson Fury jumps through them ropes and has to be held back, social distancing and all that, that will overshadow anything that Anthony Joshua does. And that's what I think these guys need to be clamouring for, you know, and then they can charge their £30, their £40, their £50 for pay-per-view if they drive this fight right, because it's big in its own right, but it can be be huge. It can be humongous. And it's starting with things like this. Like, look at, I'm not sure which fight it was when Deontay Wilder was due to, to clash with Anthony Joshua in the ring post-fight and that, 
I think Deontay Wilder turned it down or Eddie Hearn wouldn't allow it. And then even prior to that, we had Wilder on commentary for Vladimir Klitschko and, and Anthony Joshua. And, you know, these things work. There's a reason why it happens and they just need to push it as much as they can. I, 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 you know, given the, 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 the pandemic situation, the social distancing, if that's the reason, then, you know, we need to see something else from Tyson Fury. Be creative. Get online like he normally does, but be specific, be spontaneous, be 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 direct. You know, there's always ways. I'd love for him to be there. I'd love for him to make a, a huge song and dance. It's behind closed doors, you know. That's all we want to hear, Tyson Fury. You know, there's a thousand fans in there, and I'm sure Tyson Fury on his own would create more noise and, and, and more of an atmosphere single-handedly than the thousand fans that are going to be in there combined. And I think that's it exactly what we need. 2021 needs to start with a bang that this year is going to be the year. We're going to get the undisputed fight. We never got it with Joshua and Wilder, but this is it. Two Brits, the biggest British fight of all time. And this is the first stone. You know, we've had the agreement on the finances. Nothing's been signed, but this is the first stone, the first step towards getting the undisputed fight, the biggest fight in British boxing history. You're absolutely right. And I, I took a bit of flack today for looking back at history, but that's by people who can't read books. So I'm going to take you back to 1973, Venezuela. All right. Big George Foreman is fighting Kenny Norton. Kenny Norton is back off the back of breaking Muhammad Ali's jaw. He's got a title shot against Big George Foreman. Who's on commentary? Muhammad Ali. Who is climbing into Norton's corner halfway through the fight, giving Norton instructions to beat Foreman? Ali. Who jumps in the ring at the end of the fight? Who's the only person you can hear on commentary? Who tries to get the stare down and gets pulled away by security guards? And who sets up the biggest fight in the history of boxing? was Muhammad Ali because he made a nuisance of himself at that fight. You know, Foreman, Foreman got one of the greatest KOs in heavyweight championship history against, against Norton. He blew him away. But that's not what we talk about. We talk about the fact that it set up the big one, the rumble in the jungle. And that's what Tyson Fury has to learn from. He has to make a nuisance of himself, be pushing on the security, be saying, I don't give a shit about social distancing. I just want Anthony Joshua. Just making a nuisance of himself. Make him the villain if he has to, but make sure that the back pages of Sunday papers this week are all about AJ and Tyson Fury. Like you say, it, I want them both on Graham Norton, BBC Breakfast. I want them selling this next week to the biggest audience that we've ever seen in boxing. 90,000 Wembley Stadium, billions watching around the globe. It's got that potential if they push it and if they promote it, which I really hope they do. Yep, I am absolutely in agreement with you. And something that I wanted you to expand on, you and you know, again, following you on social media, you listen to Gisello and Bunce, you know, great podcast. Uh, I've seen that you, you, you know, you, you put a couple of comments out there that you wasn't very impressed with Anthony Joshua. I think it was alluding to the, the, the back and forth that has, of course, happened. And we don't want to go too far away from Joshua Pula. But given that Joshua Fiora is, is close to happening and is, is, is on the tip of everyone's tongues, it's heavyweight boxing and it's the biggest fight in the division. So, of course, we're going to be talking about it. So, we're not going off on a tangent too much, but all due respect to Pula. But... Joshua says he can come over to 258 management and he can be the superstar because he's, he's knocking on the door of superstardom or something along those lines. And Fury says he doesn't want to be a superstar, he doesn't want to be famous, he'll leave that to Joshua, he only wants to punch his head in or words to that effect. You wasn't very impressed with Joshua's words on the podcast. This is something I wanted to discuss. 
In terms of his interview, you can say whatever you want in the in the print interview, but in terms of there was two little quotes that I picked out of the Costello and Bunce interview. The first was he said, I'd much rather have a nice easy warm-up than Pulev, but you can't I can't do that. And for me, that stinks of not having not of being an athlete and a, a, a company and a a kind of a product rather than a fighter, you know. You, you speak to the likes of think think back to like Mickey Ward and Arturo Gatti or, or Hagler and Hearns or Nigel Ben and Chris Eubank. All they wanted was the hardest fights. And they wanted to batter each other. You know, they wanted to. They had that eye of the tiger, that bit between their teeth. And when I listen to Joshua speak, I feel as though he lacks that, and I feel as though he saw that against Ruiz in the first fight. You know, granted he came back with a masterful performance in the second one. I'm not I'm not denying that, but. That, that fire, that eye of the tiger sometimes seems to be miss, missing from Joshua. And when you say you want an easy warm-up, you should be saying, I don't want to fight Pulev. He's an idiot. He's a bum. I want to fight Tyson Fury. You should be saying that instead of, no, I don't really want to even fight Pulev. I want to have a warm-up fight. I was disappointed in that. And the second one was, when asked about Tyson Fury, when asked about Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua calls him a... Uh, I mean, when Anthony Joshua... When Tyson Fury is asked about Anthony Joshua, he calls him a bum, an idiot. I've smashed him to bits. I, if, if, if I can't beat him, I'm rubbish. You know, all this stuff comes out because he has animosity and he wants to fight him, beat him. That's how it comes across to me anyway. You might have a different view. But Anthony Joshua said, oh, yeah, he could be a promotional superstar. You know, it just sounds like he spends his time in boardroom meetings, not hitting heavy bag with spite, you know. It it just seems as though he's got a business mind, not fighting mind. He's thinking about, you know, he's not thinking like like Sam Langford and Jack Wills and Harry Wills and Jack Dempsey and trying to just seek and destroy, smash things because I'm a fighter. He's an athlete and a product and a businessman and a very good businessman. But that was what that interview portrayed to me, and I felt a bit disappointed by that because I want to see the best fight possible when they get in the ring, the two of them, and I just feel like. When the when when the going gets tough, will AJ have that 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 X factor that fighters have that that piece missing? You know, every fighter's got a piece missing, and probably a piece added as well in terms of their ability to to drive through the pain and strive for glory. And with, when AJ says things like that, like I'd rather have a warm up than Pulev, it makes me worry, and it just makes me worry that we're not going to get that when that fight finally comes off. Okay, now this is something that always comes up within Simbox, and this is something that will be absolutely exploded into life when the Fury-Joshua fight happens. But you know, there's a couple of things that I have to call you out on there, and again, we love when we get on, but we probably love it even more when we don't. So <laughs> we, we, we're now in the midst of, of you saying that you're disappointed with Anti-Joshua, maybe saying that he'd love a warm-up fight. I think a lot of what Anti-Joshua said in that podcast was possibly tongue-in-cheek, you know, and let's take it point by point. If we're complaining that Joshua requested a warm-up fight, do we not then have that same energy, that same frustration towards Tyson Fury when he delayed the Wilder rematch for 12 months to take a couple of warm-up fights? Yeah. I, I, Tom Schwartz was, was shit. And I've always said Tom Schwartz was shit. Otto Walling was, was shit as well. And Otto Walling gave Tyson Fury hell. Eventually, we did get the Wilder rematch and he did put that to bed. Fair play. But he did take up a couple of warm-up fights. And, you know, Klitschko and... And, and while they're apart, his whole career is warm-up fights, all due respect to an out-of-shape Derek Chisora. Uh, if we're talking about anti-Joshua craving the biggest fights, look from his 14th fight until now, it's it's top contender after top contender. You know, the, the biggest and best fighters available after Wilder because Wilder was ducking the Joshua fight. Obviously, Fury came onto the scene a little later than that, given his outer ring issues. So Joshua has never ducked 
the biggest challenge. So, you know, off the top of your head, can you tell me the last time that Joshua had a warm-up fight or a tick-over fight? You know, he, he fought Carlos Takam, which I can probably say is a, a sub-par opponent, but that was given his mandatory challenge of Kubat Pula, funny enough, dropped out of that fight. But, you know, we're talking Povetkin, we're talking... Brazil, Molina. Brazil, Brazil he, he fought in his 17th fight that, that uh, Wilder then fought in, what was his 42nd fight? You know, so look, look at the levels. Look at the levels that Andy Joshua is boxing at in his 14, 15, 16 fight. And then go and compare it to your boy Tyson Fiori's record or go and compare it even better to Jante Wilder's record. So I think a lot of that has got to be taken into context as well. I think if he's, you know, we're worried about him taking the biggest and the baddest fights. The one time in his career where I would have forgave him a warm-up fight was after Ruiz won when he took that horrendous beat and when he took that, 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 that shellacking at the hands of Andy Ruiz, that, that, that punishing stoppage, embarrassing stoppage defeat, given that, you know, you're looking at it aesthetically and everybody thought it was going to be a destruction job, myself included. They had a lot of rebuilding to do with Andy Joshua there. And if he had went off and fought, you know, an Ajit Caballero, um, you know, let's not mention about the fight with Tyson Fury, Ajit Caballero, he's priced himself out of that. If he had went and had that kind of level of fight before going into Ruiz 2, that was probably the only time I would have forgave Anthony Joshua going down that route of of a warm-up fight. And then finally, the one point that I did want to make as well is that the whole management thing, I think that's Anthony Joshua's way of of getting at Tyson Fury. The same way Tyson Fury goes down the the, the, the big dosser, you bum this, that and the other. I think that's his style of trash talk, if you like. I think Anthony Joshua, he has that, you know, if you like that roadman mentality where he just wants to disrespect somebody and almost seem superior. And I think that was his come and sign to me and, and be under my management kind of like be my bitch I'm your boss kind of insult if that makes sense I think that that's my take from that interview but again you know it's, it's all up to you know I'm going to take the anti-Joshua side of things of course and you're going to take the Tyson Fury kind of things and then that's the side of things and I think that's the brilliant thing about this fight the beautiful thing about this fight and again it all adds up to why we want this fight to happen in 2021 but this is again exactly to what you said is is I've taken one thing away from that interview and you've taken something completely different because there are bits of Anthony Joshua that 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 appeal to me in different ways. And don't get me wrong, I'm a massive Anthony Joshua fan. It's just there's one person who I'm who I'm a bigger fan of at heavyweight. That's just and I'm so glad that they're the two. You know, if it was Joshua or Wilder or Fury and Wilder who were the top two, I'd be a little bit disappointed because Fury or AJ weren't in the mix. I'm not saying I hate AJ, but what I'm saying is I take I take away something different to when I hear him speak, and I don't know if that's because I'm not where I'm fr- where I'm from. You know, Tyson Fury lives twenty minutes down the road from me. Maybe that's why I get the way he speaks and the way he is. And maybe if you are from Watford or South London, you get that differently. But that's the beauty of the fight is it'll split the country down the middle. You know, you'll have you'll have uncles turning against brothers and brothers and sisters turning against each other because of who they like in that fight. And that's the crossover appeal. Because if you're from, the, you know, if you're from London or something and you empathise with that sort of diss, you know, that's great. Whereas I might from the Northwest be like, oh yeah, of course Tyson Fury talks the better talk because he talks like me. Do you know what I mean? It's, it is, it shows that how big this fight can be because different people will take different things and therefore different people will pick a side. Like Eubank and Ben, everybody was either a Eubank guy or a Ben guy. And it didn't matter, but the whole country had an opinion. That's what this fight needs to be. Everybody will have an opinion when it comes, and I just can't wait. Absolutely, absolutely. And we'll bring this full circle. We started this this segment, this this feature part of the podcast, and we, we went straight into the challenger 
Kubrat Pulev. And, and, and I did that for a specific reason, given that we, we all know about it, Joshua, and I thought it was right to give the challenger his 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 own right, his own mention, and, and why we see him in the position. You know, that, not that I agree with it, and you kind of had a bit more of an understanding, which is great. But let's bring it back round to Anthony Joshua. He is the unified WBO, IBF, WBA world champion. One thing that I do find absolutely fascinating, whether I agree with it or I don't, or I'm right in the middle, is the the, the perception of Anthony Joshua has completely changed over the past 18 months. You know, we go back before Ruiz, maybe it was because it was Jarrell Miller who was the, the challenger back then, and he was such an arsehole, and, and he's become an even bigger arsehole in the time. Since that fight, obviously, he failed so many different drug tests. I don't even want to go into that. He was such an asshole that, that Anthony Joshua couldn't do any any wrong. You know, he was he was your girlfriend's favorite fighter, he was your mother's favorite fighter. We all wanted him to to smash Jarrell Miller to bits, and I do believe he would have done that quite efficiently. But then he's shown such vulnerabilities in that Ruiz fight. Did he overlook him? Did he have issues out of the ring? Did he have problems before he got in the ring? We don't care now because the result is the result. He's shown so many vulnerabilities. He looks so fragile in there. You know, and I dare say somebody like yourself that's into the, the history of boxing, you know, not too uh, distant uh, British heavyweight boxing in Frank Bruno. We all love Frank Bruno and we all knew that he had his vulnerabilities and his frailties. But for one reason or another, Anthony Joshua has, has almost become the, the anti-hero or the, you know, he's almost frowned upon. And I think that's gone hand in hand with the rise of Tyson Fury because Tyson Fury was never born to be this pay-per-view star. He says it himself. And Anthony Joshua now has transitioned away from being, you know, adulated and, and, and you know, I dare say he, he, he still is the most popular boxer in Britain and, and, and far and away, but he's not on that pedestal anymore. He's not, he's not what he's perceived to be in my perception. As much as, you know, I'm still a huge fan of him and I still favour him in that Fury fight and everything else that goes along with that, I make no secret of that. And if you follow my social media, you'll know that as well. But in that one fight, in that one fight, seven rounds, the perception of Anthony Joshua for the rest of his career changed irrevocably. You know, the quitter tag will never go away. No matter what he does, he could go and beat Tyson Fury in a round and fight him again and beat him in the first round again. He will never get away from what happened June 1st in Madison Square Garden. It changed public perception. It changed his mindset. You know, he's a totally different fighter. And I think that's something that we're going to see on Saturday. Again, I'll go into my breakdown of the fight later, but it's different. I, I don't believe the Anthony Joshua we have in front of us today would ever have been portrayed the way he is had he just steamrolled through Andy Ruiz and, and, and had a different end to 2019, you know, the rebuild, the, the, the going back to square one, it's all changed him into a different animal. Would you agree? Do you have anything to add to that? Well, you know, I, I think it's quite an interesting way of looking at things, aren't you, Joshua? I completely disagree, actually. I completely disagree. I think that the narrative of being the two-time heavyweight champion, of losing it and winning it back, will do him good favours in the long run. You know, he's got that redemption story. How many times, when we look back at the career of Lennox Lewis, do we talk about Oliver McCall? When, do, when we look back at the, the, the prestigious career of, of Muhammad Ali, do we, do we mention Leon Spinks, you know, or Trevor Burbick? We don't. You know, these, these things are the redemption story, the doing it, the winning it back, you know, that is all the great fighters have lost, all of them, every single one of the top 10 greatest fighters of all time has a loss on their record. That was aimed at Floyd Mayweather. Um, <laughs> but, and, and I think that Joshua, the character that is built in him to build himself back up will actually do him good. And I think that we live a little bit in the Twitter bubble where everyone goes, oh, AJ's got no chin, he's this, he's that. But if you walk into a supermarket, you walk into Asda's down the road and you say, name a boxer, 
I bet you seven, eight, nine out of ten are anti Joshua because he's on the Lucas A bottles and the Lynx boxes and the Under Armour t-shirts. He's still the biggest star in British boxing. He's still, arguably for me, the second biggest star in world boxing. I think that his legacy will be better for Andy Ruiz. I seriously do. Even though his boxing, it's made me question some of his boxing chops and his, his in the detail breakdown aspect. But history doesn't necessarily remember you. Mike Tyson is the biggest boxer alive today, right? You know, is he better than Lennox Lewis? No. Is he better than Jack Dempsey? Probably not. Is he better than all of these other fighters? You know, probably not. But he's remembered for his transcendental, his transcendent appeal. And Anthony Joshua is building that transcendent appeal. And his storyline, in my opinion, when he retires, will be all the better and all the more rich for the Andy Ruiz bounce back. Maybe, maybe so. And I, I can kind of agree where you're coming from. Of course, I'm an Anthony Joshua fan, so I, I kind of have that narrative myself. But the way I'm kind of looking at it is how he's perceived it. And, and you know, he's, we're talking sometimes as if Anthony Joshua is, is finished or as if he's retired. He certainly isn't. Uh, but my point being is that the, the questions posed, the questions asked of him after June are still there. You know, do we, do we look back on uh, Lennox Lewis and do we call him Chinny because of the, the destructive knockouts? The, you know, to uh, McCall and then to uh, Hazim Rackman. You know, we, we don't we don't question Lennox Lewis because he went and wronged those rights. And Anthony Joshua had done that with Ruiz and he'd done it emphatically in a way that nobody thought he could. He boxed on the back foot and he, he put on a masterclass in that rematch. You know, I dare say if Tyson Fury had won that way against Ruiz, we would have been, you know, screaming from the rooftops that, you know, that, that's the most masterful performance since Floyd Mayweather in his pump. But because it was Joshua and we expected the knockout, people were saying he was ducking, he was running, he was hiding. And, you know, he ran his way to victory. I disagree with that. And I dare say you disagree with that. My point being is that Joshua was answering these questions already. Questions that aren't, or labels that aren't tagged to Lennox Lewis. And we go back to Lennox Lewis because he's the best, or the, the, one of the best British heavyweights of, of all time. He, didn't, he, he doesn't have to answer those questions because he wronged those rights. But Anthony Joshua wronged his rights and he still is labelled a quitter and, and, and chinny. And I still believe that Yes, he might. He might retire. He could win, lose, or draw with Tyson Fury. He will be one of the best of his generation. But it will. Maybe it's the social media, or maybe we have like a paper record of being able to go back and look at tweets and look at articles a little more than we did with Lennox Lewis. And that's why Lennox was able to get away from the the chinny tag or the he got knocked out tag. That seems to be that stigma seems to be lingering around a little more with Anthony Joshua, in my opinion. I think history history absorbs everything because I bet if we went back to 2002, there were respected boxing journalists saying that Tyson would win because Lewis was chinny, because he was still fighting. I think history has a beautiful power to absolve. And I believe that Anthony Joshua's career and Tyson Fury's career, actually, will be better with history, with time. As they develop, I think that the records up to this point will both prove more, I think that we'll be, we'll have realized we live in a better era than we think we do once it's Absolutely. over. Absolutely. That's my opinion, anyway. Yep. And I certainly think, you know, just to finish on that, there is win, lose, or draw. I think both men will be looked at better in history as long as those fights happen. Let's make sure those fights happen because we're going to look back in history and, you know, we're going to have the, the situation with uh, Lennox Lewis and is it Riddick Bow? That fight never happened. You know, that's going to be, of this era, it's going to be Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. Let's hope, fingers crossed, you know, we're so close to happening that Fury and Joshua does happen because their records, win, lose or draw, will both look so much better. Their standing within boxing history will always look so much better for fights and each other, for both men, for the winner and for the loser. Absolutely. So let's get into Anthony Joshua, um, his reasons for winning, our predictions to close out the segment. 
you know, I'll let you go first, Ewan. Break down the fight for me. You know, I'm guessing you're thinking Anthony Joshua wins. I don't want to overstep the mark. I don't want to put words into your mouth. But yeah, give it to me from your point of view. Anthony Joshua will win this fight. I have no doubt about it in my head. I think that Anthony Joshua has every attribute in terms of... So Pulev's best, uh, best things are jab right hand, left hook, upright style. Nobody does that in the world better at the moment. That kind of uh, almost, dare I say, robotic European straight up style. Nobody does that better than Anthony Joshua. He's a king of it. He's got a wicked left hook. He's got a right hand that's like a piston and it'll sit right down the pipe. I think Pulev will think that he'll be aiming for the Vladimir Klitschko left hook. You know, obviously that's the one that got him out. AJ's got a wicked left hook. I think Pulev will be wary of the left hook and he'll get caught with a big right hand down the pipe, if I'm honest. I think AJ does everything Klitschko does, everything Pulev does well, better than Pulev does it well. And I think that they have an almost fairly similar style, but in every area, Anthony Joshua has a slightly stronger attribute card, say, in that area. So... My prediction is going to be Anthony Joshua between five and seven because I think that Pulev is he's a tricky enough, he's a veteran enough to have survived the first couple of rounds. But if we get the AJ that came in against Brazil, Molina, that kind of guy, or Klitschko, that brim in with confidence, powerful, strong. If we get that guy, which I hope we will, I don't think Kubrat Pulev can do seven rounds with him because Kubrat, he's 39, he's, he's got an open defence, he's got... A nice jab, but he's not particularly powerful. He doesn't have the power to hold Anthony Joshua off. I think Anthony Joshua is going to walk him down with that European style on a big right hand or a big left hook and put him out. Ewan, fantastic. We're finally agreeing. I like that we've we've come full circle with our with our layout of the pod, and I like that we've come full circle with disagreeing and now agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I very much agree with you with a lot of what you said. I think that that even in his pomp. Kubrat Pulev was never the fastest. He didn't have the greatest footwork. Like you say, he's, 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 he's in and out straight lines and he has that jab, jab, right hand kind of style. And we all know Joshua's kryptonite or what seems to be his kryptonite, his footwork and his hand speed. Pulev doesn't have that. I think this, again, we've mentioned is, is tailor-made for Anthony Joshua to look good. I think this is his most straightforward title defence since an overmatched out of his deck, Eric Molina. And that, of course, set up Vladimir Klitschko. Let's hope that an emphatic knockout here sets up the Tyson Fury fight. As we say, I think the, the, the first 30 seconds, the first 60 seconds, the first two minutes could be cagey, but Anthony Joshua will, will smell blood at some point. He's, 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 he's a finisher. He's one of the best finishers in the game. And I think as soon as he knows he can land, as soon as he knows he's found his range, uh, like you said, I think it's, it's straight down the pipe. I think it's as straightforward as that. Boxing can be such a complex game to predict, but it can also be such a straightforward game to predict. This is not going to last long once Joshua finds that range. I believe he finds it early. I think he'll find it within the first round. And I think this is over, certainly in the first six. But if I was to put a bet on it, which I most certainly will, I'll be back in the third round. I think this is going to be explosive. I think it's going to make a statement. It's going to be everything that we want from this fight to encourage everything that we've already mentioned, that we want the Fury fight, we want the drama, we want the excitement, we want the clamour. And Joshua's got to lay down the marker, whether Fury's there or not. He's got to lay down that marker to say, that's my most recent performance. You look great against Wilder. I look great against Pulev. Let's get it on in 2021. Anthony Joshua will win this fight by knockout in the third round. It's great that we finally come full circle after a pod full of arguments. No, I think it's. I think. I think that the general wisdom is is what we've said, and it's just how emphatic he is. I think he needs to be very emphatic, and hopefully he can be because, like I said, we all want that fight. We want the 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 eyes of the world to be on Saturday night. 
and, and that face-off at the end, hopefully. Hopefully. You have something that I wanted to finish the pod on today. Normally, we'd put this segment at the beginning, back when we spoke about Billy Joe Saunders and Martin Murray. But given that it was, in its own right, such a big fight, it's split opinion. We're big fans of one side of the fight, and we were proud victors. Of course, I'm alluding to Anthony Yard against Lyndon Arthur. Commonwealth light heavyweight title fight took place last Saturday on BT Sport. Two weeks in a row, Frank Warren has backed one of his own men over another one of his home fighters. You know, that we had him back in Dubois heavily over Joe Joyce, even though he was both Queensbury fighters. It left Joe Joyce feeling a bit pushed out, a bit of a sour taste in his mouth, and he shoved them right back down Frank's throat with a victory over Daniel Dubois. Fast forward seven days, and it's almost a mirror image, except this fight went the distance, but both fights were won with a left jab. Lyndon Arthur almost exclusively dominated Anthony Yard with that left hand. It was close, but not as close as, as Yard and his team, for me, are saying uh, that it was a robbery. I don't think it was anything like that. Ewan, I, I'm going off on a tangent already here. I want to give you the opportunity to dissect this fight. The right hand will take you around the block, but the jab will take you around the world. And Lyndon Arthur has a quality, quality jab. Anthony Yard had no answer for it from the very first bell. You know, up until the end of the 11th round, he came out like a bat out of hell in the 12th. But just because you won the 12th round doesn't mean you won the fight. Lyndon Arthur put that down his pipe at will. Left hand, left hand, left hand. Did he injure his right hand? Did he not? doesn't matter. He won that fight clearly. Anthony Yard is screaming robbery. That's ridiculous. Lyndon Arthur back, boxed masterfully. Pat Barrett wrote the perfect game plan for Lyndon to win that fight. Sometimes, like you said, boxing is a complicated game, but some days it's simple. And Pat Barrett and Lyndon Arthur worked out there is a very, very simple way to beat Anthony Yard. You feed him a good left jab and he executed it with flying colours. And for me, he cemented himself as the best light heavyweight in Britain because he beat him, in in my view, very comprehensively. I thought that in every area, Yard looked overmatched. He looked like he was reaching with his punches. He looked like he was getting frustrated. He looked like he couldn't see the openings. He looked like he couldn't exploit the distance. I thought Lyndon Arthur was masterful on uh, last Saturday night. Absolutely. And I think this is the thing, you know, Myself, definitely. I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm I'm not a big fan of Tunday Jay. You know, with all due respect, he's he does what he does, and he's got his fans, he's got his followers, and you know they're going to believe in what he does and what he says. But the the whole, you know, lines in the camp is the only kind of bit of advice that he has. We've seen that in the Sergey Kovalev fight when Anthony Yard put up such a brave performance, and I, I thought he deserved so much better from his corner. And same in this fight, I think the only bit of advice that we've seen as a variation from uh, Tunday was when he caught up on London Arthur possibly having a damaged right hand. And if I'm led to believe correctly, that was only from a BT Sport stream where someone's passed that on to him. So he's not even picked up on that himself. And I think it's almost a level of delusion. And, and unfortunately, it seems that Anthony himself is, is buying into that because he thought he won the fight. He thought he won it well. He, 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 you know, he goes on and on and on about this Lions in the camp mentality. I thought he must be applauded for everything that he's overcome in 2021, pers- in 2020, sorry, personally, to even make it back into the ring. Of course, we tip our hearts to him for that. But as a sporting contest, this wasn't close. If they rematch, it'll be even wider. You know, if imagine if he gets in there and fights a, a, a Lyndon Arthur with two hands. You know, how emphatic a win that will be for, for Lyndon, given that he won it so comprehensively with a, a left jab. Pat Barrett put on the perfect game plan. He, you know, he, he was meticulous. He's seen this as, you know, a Barrett versus a Jay uh, chess match, and he, you know, it was checkmate. It was as simple as that. The 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 fury, the the, the fury, and the 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 
almost the, the antagonism from uh, Yard and you see him at the end calling robbery so 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 much was was you know borderline again I mentioned it earlier delusional it was embarrassing and you know the, for Frank Warren as well he, he he was so far behind at the yard he thought he was on the cusp of another world title shot now just like Joe Joyce he moves on higher up the rankings and he looks towards a world title shot the same must be said for London Arthur and you know I'll give a shout out to Aki Karim at British Boxing TV they've got an interview coming up with Pat and it's it's lit a fire in the belly of Pat Barrett and I've got to say this you know I've only seen a, a segment and the, the the full interview does drop later but this is almost like a a fired up Pat Barrett he's normally such a calm collected character but you know he's, he said we're the champion we get you know we don't have to give him a rematch you know we're not obligated to do anything, it, it was a clear victory. And if it does happen again, we come to Manchester, the real lines then, where it's full of killer bees. And that was such an iconic statement that I hope that goes viral. I hope that's forever tagged to this fight because Pat's right. It, it, they're the champion. And if they give him the opportunity again, you know, as Tony Bell, you said to David Hayden, salt and pepper's on the other side of the table. Now, this is the, the Lyndon Arthur show. They spent so long dancing to the tune of At the Yard that now Lyndon has the chance to to be in control. And if that rematch happens, it's on his terms. He signs his own checks. And I, I was I was proud of London Arthur. He's a Manchester lad. He maybe had an injury in his right hand and he still won so easily. So yeah, I'm massively impressed, massively proud. And if that rematch happens, I believe it'll be even more conclusive of victory. Not to blow my own trumpet, but in my uh, fight week preview, I wrote, when, when adversity comes in a fight, when, when you need advice... You, you want a person who's a boxing person in the corner. And I said, Tunde Ajayi has questionable credentials. He's a bit of a fraud. Sod it, he is a fraud. And Pat Barrett is anything but a fraud. And we saw this on Saturday night. So Pat Barrett had a fighter who could well have hurt his hand or was having difficulty finding a place to the right hand. But he coached him through it. He talked him the simplicities and he got his fight in the win. Tunde, everybody else on commentary, everybody else watching it thought, Arthur's hurt his hand here rounds two, three, four, or he's not throwing the right hand rounds, two, three, four. It was the end of the seventh round after the BT commentators went and told Tunde that's when he noticed. He is scamming Anthony Yard and he's scamming the British public. Pat Barrett and Lyndon Arthur are the champions. They deserve all the credit. They did a job. They did a job in the face of adversity. Everything went Anthony Yard's way and he still couldn't do it. Um, I just... I'm, I can't. I feel like I want to criticise Tunde, but that takes away from the shine of Lyndon's win. And it was ultimately one man that won that fight, and it was Lyndon Arthur, and he moves on to bigger and better things. Yes, absolutely. And then, you know, before we finish, I just want to say, blow your own trumpet because I'm telling, I'm going to take this second of the podcast to blow my trumpet. Two weeks in a row, you know, I, I wax lyrical about Joe Joyce and and the way he will defeat Daniel Dubois, and lo and behold, he went and done that. And the week after, I said Lyndon Arthur will be yard on points. And he went and done that this weekend. You know, to our listeners, go and put your money on Joshua round three, round three because, you know, like Conor McGregor, I'm Mystic Mac and I predict these things. You know, I, I'm, the, I'm the Simbox predictor. Let's, let's put it that way. I've got my own crystal ball. And 2020 is going to end with a bang. Listen to my predictions. Win yourself some money. Three for three for three in round three. I like it. Fantastic, you and it's always it's, it's a pleasure as always. You know, I really enjoy our chats. Looking forward to each and every big fight. Twenty twenty has been a challenging year. We're closing it with a bang. This episode of Let's Talk Boxing has been a bang. Thanks for your time, you.